dilapidated, dilapidated, derelict pianos known to man. I mean, this was probably a piano like the ones that are so often donated to the churches. <laughs> you, know, you know how it happens with churches. We've had, we've had this couch for 500 years. Let's give it to the church. <laughs> I'm talking about that kind of piano right there, okay? Just, he was so gifted, such a well-known piano or pianist, but the piano they provided to him was less than adequate for his abilities. And so the man did his best with it, but boy, it was a really miserable thing to listen to that piano being played out of tune and so old. And, and well, you've probably been there before, Miss Debbie. Uh, but, but that story that he told just reminded me of something significant right here. And let me, let me, let me say, Jesus Christ is indeed God's superior priest. But here's the question. Is there anything that can minimize his superiority? Nothing can. And I'll tell you why. Because of chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews. See, Jesus, as a superior priest, nothing limits his ability to minister to the full extent of who he is and what he has accomplished. Because Jesus ministers on the basis of a better covenant. That's what chapter 8 talks about. He ministers on the basis of, in, uh, he ministers in a better sanctuary. That's what chapter 9 talks about. And chapter 10 tells us that he is able to execute a more superior ministry because he ministers according to a better sacrifice. Amen. These next couple of weeks, we're going to be uncovering all of these wonderful truths from these next chapters in the book of Hebrews. And, and it's the glorious anthem of, of, of the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and how superior it truly is. We begin to see it demonstrated more and more in these next chapters of Hebrews. And so here in Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to discover together how Jesus has provided for us a better covenant. Let's look at verse 1 together, where the Bible tells us in Hebrews 8 verse 1, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest, who is set on the right hand of the throne of, of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a what? A better covenant, which was established upon better promises. That's good stuff right there. And I'm looking forward to digging into what the Bible has to tell to us about this better covenant that Jesus has provided to us. Let's pray together and ask God to bless our time in His Word. Father, You promised that um, the Word that goes forth, it will not return to You void, but it will accomplish that which you've sent it for, you, you have sent it forth to accomplish. Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I pray that you'd increase our faith, grow us in our faith here tonight. We might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to get a hold of this truth right here uh, because it impacts our lives daily. It will. We understand it. And it certainly has mine. I thank you, Lord, for your new covenant and uh, the new arrangement we have with you, that we can have full fellowship with you through your finished work. I pray, God, 
you will allow the, uh, the preaching of your word to uh, be exactly what you'd have it to be tonight. And Lord, fill us with your spirit that we might hear and be taught by your spirit as your word is open tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Years ago, a man was saved at a Salvationist meeting. That's a meeting of the Salvation Army. And he was a very large man, and he was one of those types of guys where uh, you, could, you, you, you could notice him from a mile away because of how big he was. Uh, just a really, really big man. Um, and so he came home to his wife. He was so excited about the fact that he had, he had gotten saved. He came home from the meeting to, to tell his wife about it. The next day, he went back to the meeting. When he came home that next day, the Salvation, the Salvation Army meeting was lasting several days, and he came home that next day, he was very sad. He wasn't near as happy as he was the day before. And his wife asked him why he was so sad, and he said, well, everybody at the meeting had red shirts on, and I don't have a red shirt. And he was sad because he didn't have a red shirt, so his wife, being a good wife, she knitted him a really big red shirt to wear. It was a big, it was a big gift because he was a big guy. So the next day, he went to the meeting, and he's all happy. He came back the next day from the meeting, and he was sad again. This time, she said, well, what's wrong this time? And he said, well, all the people, they had white letters on their red shirts this time. Uh, it was just the cross, he, but he couldn't read or write. And she couldn't read or write either. And so neither of them knew what to do. And so the, the, the wife, wanting to be a good wife, she took his red shirt that she'd made for him, and she, she tried to mimic a sign that a business next door to them had put up. And she put the lettering of the sign on his shirt. This is a true story. And so he went to the meeting, and he came back with a big smile on his face. And they said, mine was the best shirt there, they said. And the, the, the lettering that she had put on his shirt was, this business is under new management. <laughs> and that's pretty good right there. It could have been a lot worse, I'll say that too. But this business is under new management. And boy, he was wearing it from, from face to face, a big guy just as round as could be. And he was as proud as could be about the fact that he had that shirt and about the, that, about the work that Jesus Christ had done in his life. And can I say to you as we get started tonight, we are under new management. We are under new management. That's the idea of a new covenant that we're talking about, a new agreement, a new uh, relationship that we have in, uh, in between us and God. And it's all because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And as we're going to see this week and next week, the, uh, the new covenant, the new management, the new arrangement that we have with God is so much better than what it was before. And so we're going to labor to show that from the scripture. And tonight, I just want you to notice with me the first of three reasons why the new covenant is so much better. Number one, and this will be the only point tonight. How about that? That's about 500 subpoints, but it's the only point tonight. Amen. Number one, why is the new covenant so much better? The new covenant is better because it has a better mediator. It has a better mediator. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Now the Lord, through the writer of Hebrews, is bringing this discourse now to a climax. And he's saying here at the beginning, in all that has just been discussed about Jesus' high priestly ministry, this is everything I've been trying to get to telling you. 
This is the sum, this is the total, in a very short phrase, of everything I've been trying to get across to you. What is it? Look at verse 1 again. Now the things which we have spoken unto you, this is the sum. Read the next phrase with me. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. See, the Bible says we have such an high priest. And when it's saying there, we have such an high priest, it's pointing back to something we already studied in chapter 7. And I believe some of these verses are in your notes. Earlier in chapter 7, the Lord had told us about Jesus' high priestly ministry. And, and, and in Hebrews chapter 7, it was relayed to us that Jesus, our high priest, what He is for us. It said in chapter 7 and verse 22 that He's made the surety, the guarantor of a better testament. That's what we're talking about now. This New Testament, this new covenant. He has guaranteed through His high priestly ministry a better covenant to us. A better testament. It said in verse number 24 that He has an unchangeable priesthood. And He's, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him. And, and verse 25, and, and then it says in verse 20, 26 that He's holy, harmless, separate, undefiled, separate from sinners and, and made higher than the heavens. And so praise God, we have such an high priest. Such an high priest, unlike any other the world has ever known or ever will know. I'm glad that we have such an high priest here tonight. And it's on the basis of understanding the great high priest that we truly have been given. That we're able to understand the significance of the new covenant. This new arrangement with God that he has made with us. Now we know Jesus is superior. We've seen it emphasized over and over again already throughout the book of Hebrews. But we see that he's a superior especially in what's said next of him in verse number 1. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now that word set is a significant word. It's a Greek word, kathizo, and it means to have fixed one's position. He has a fixed Position. You listen to me this evening. Jesus is permanently fixed in the seat of authority in heaven's glory tonight. He is in a permanent position. Now here's something that I hadn't really considered fully before until this week. In the Old Testament, those of you that are reading through the Bible in a year with me, we've just been reading through Exodus. We're getting into Leviticus now. In the Old Testament, as you read through everything that's described about the tabernacle. One of the things that you understand is that when that priest goes into that tabernacle, one thing he never does is sit down. All of these different things are made, a table and an altar and a candlestick and, and all of these different things, these different types of instruments were made for the tabernacle, but guess what one of them wasn't? There was no chair made. Why? Why doesn't the priest ever get to sit down? Because his work is never done. In the Old Testament, they had to continue offering up those sacrifices over and over and over and over again. And Wearsby notes this in something I read from him. He, he, he said this week, he said, not only did the high priest never sit down in the tabernacle, but he never sat down on a throne. See, the priest, the tribe of Levi, they weren't allowed to be of the kingly line. 
They weren't allowed to be kings. And by the way, the tribe of Judah could never be a priest either. God had drawn a line where they couldn't, they couldn't touch each other. And so the priest could never be a king. A king could never be a priest. But Jesus is described as being a great high priest sitting on heaven's throne. Something a priest never should have been able to do. And, and this is what makes Jesus' priestly ministry so much better. You see, he has sat down today. Why? Because his work is done. It's done. And not only has he sat down, but the Bible says where he has sat down is on the throne of God's majesty in heaven here tonight. You see, there's none exalted higher above Jesus. No other priest could ever do what Jesus has done because no other priest was like Jesus is. He's our king priest. There's nobody like King Jesus who ministers on our behalf. It makes me think of the song, the hymn we often sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Thank the Lord for the ministry of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so with this being true, before we move on, here's a fair question to, for us to be, to be asked. Think about this with me. Could a priest who has, who has finished his work, he sat down, he's done. Could a priest who has finished his work minister from a covenant that could never finish anything? Well, that wouldn't make any sense. That'd be like that gifted pianist playing on that dilapidated piano. He'd be limited in what he could do. Nothing can limit our God. Amen. So could a priest who has finished his work, the Lord Jesus, operate on the basis of a covenant that could never finish anything? And the obvious answer to the rhetorical question is absolutely no. You see, earlier, you look in your notes, you look down at your Bible, and in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 19, earlier we discovered in this study that the Bible says that the law made nothing perfect. It brought nothing to completion. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Hey, when the law said it cannot be finished, Jesus came and said, it is finished. Amen. He finished what the old covenant could never do. That's, why the new, that's just one of the many reasons we're going to discover why the new covenant is so much better. And I'm thankful for that truth. And so a superior priest could never minister on the basis of an inferior covenant. That's why we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. Jesus came and, and finished the work. Hey, that, that the Old Covenant never could finish. As one person wrote, The presence of a superior high priest in heaven demands a superior covenant if he is to minister effectively to God's people. And that's important to understand that right there. Now, moving on in the Scriptures here, the Bible then goes on to describe why Jesus' ministry, um, why his ministry demands a new covenant. Look at verse number 2. Speaking of Jesus, it says that he is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. And so the Bible tells us here that Jesus is a minister of the real tabernacle and, and the, the authentic, genuine, everything that the idea of the sanctuary was supposed to point to. Jesus is the minister of the true tabernacle and the sanctuary that's in heaven here tonight. And so everything that the earthly tabernacle pointed to is, is where Jesus is actually operating in his high priestly ministry here today. 
That's what the Bible's getting, getting at here, pointing us to. Moving on to verse 3, the Bible says, For every high priest is ordained, they're appointed, to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, because of this, it is of necessity that this man, Jesus, has somewhat also to offer. Now that word somewhat is not something that is fam- not a word that's familiar as familiar to us in our modern English vernacular. That word somewhat, it comes from a, a Hebrew word that means a specific one, a certain one. It's, it's, it's in the singular tense. It's talking about not many gifts and offerings, but one. Now that's significant. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But it, hey, just, just like in the Old Testament, all of these gifts and sacrifices were offered up, which all pointed to the heavenly but we're not as not effective like the heavenly is. So Jesus, in fulfilling all of those pictures, hey, it was necessary for him also to have something to offer as well, a specific sacrifice, gift to offer up as well. That's what the Bible's talking about here. And so uh, 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 the, the high priest of this world, the Bible says they were appointed to bring the gifts and sacrifices of the people before God and being that they were just types of Jesus, who, who is the real deal, who, who ministers in the, in the heavenly sanctuary, in the true tabernacle, the real tabernacle, not the one that a bunch of men put together, but the one that God has established in heaven. Being that they all pointed to him and he's the real deal, it was thus indispensable for him to also possess a certain sacrifice to be able to offer up. Being that he was the fulfillment of everything that those things pointed to. Now stick with me. That word somewhat, I'm coming back to it now. That word somewhat in verse number two, or verse number three, it's in the singular, it's in the singular. And then the phrase, it says uh, that this man have somewhat also to offer. The phrase to offer is in a Greek tense that implies that it's a once for all action. To offer it up once for all. So he had to have a sacrifice to once for all offer up. That's what's being indicated in the text here. And so in a literal sense, he was to give one sacrifice that had a once for all impact. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he came into this world. He offered up himself as a sacrifice, being both sacrifice and the high priest who administered the sacrifice. And that one sacrifice forever sanctifies those of us who believe. It was sufficient once for all. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, I love this verse. It says, Now once in the end of the world hath he, Jesus, appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once he put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so get this, the fact is, Jesus, he couldn't operate as a priest under the system of the old covenant. You couldn't take the old covenant and try to mix it with Jesus if you tried. It never would be possible. And the Bible goes on to tell us again. We've already heard this before in chapter 7. We hear it again here. The Bible goes on to tell us again why. Verse number 4. It says, for if he, Jesus, were on earth, he should not be a priest. Seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. There's already an earthly tabernacle that God established. There's already an earthly sanctuary. All those things have already been established and they've been established according to the law and they can never complete what needed to be done. By the way, Jesus, of the tribe of Judah, not of Levi, he could never be a priest according to the law. 
If he were on earth, he couldn't do for us what he's doing for us in heaven. By the way, that's one of the reasons why he said when he was still here, it's expedient for you that I go away. It's in your best interest that I go away. Because I've got a ministry to fulfill. It goes going on in the scripture here. In verse 5 it says that all of these earthly priests, they serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Verse 6 But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Hey, if Jesus were still on earth, as I said before, I'll say again, he could not operate as a priest today. Because earthly priests have to operate under the old covenant, that is the law. But Jesus can minister today in heaven. Because in heaven, hey, the old law has been done away with. And a new covenant is in effect because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's not operating under the old. He has established the new for us. And so let me ask you this question with that in mind. If Jesus offers us a new covenant, why would we want to go back to the old? Why? But we so often do. Some of us unknowingly. We so often do. See, earthly priests... They were just types and shadows of what was to come. That's what the Bible told us in verse number 5. That those, those earthly priests, the only reason they were put in place was to serve as examples and shadows of what was better, the thing that was better that was yet to come. That word example that comes from a Greek word that literally means a pattern or a figure. Okay, And the word shadow is a Greek. It comes from a Greek word that literally means, it, it, it talks about an image cast by an object that represents the form of it. But it is not the actual thing. And so God was clear in his instructions to Moses. And boy, those of you that have been reading along with me in Exodus and Leviticus, uh, sometimes it can be a little bit challenging to stay engaged with reading some of those instructions unless you realize what it's talking about here. Everything you read in Exodus and Leviticus about the tabernacle and how it was to be built and the priests and how they were to be clothed, all of those are types and shadows of pattern of the good thing that was supposed to come, Jesus Christ and his finished work. And boy, there's a lot of significance in those things, but they can be difficult to read through if, you, if you're not looking at them in, in that type of light. But God was so particular with Moses over and over and over and over again, he repeated to Moses, Moses, hey, make sure you make it according to the pattern I showed you in the mount. And you read through that and he repeats it. I have all of them underlined in my Bible because I know it's significant. Moses, hey, make sure they make it according to the pattern. Don't mess up the pattern. Why? Because they were all representing something wonderful, beautiful. Jesus Christ. And boy, to put something in the wrong color or to make something in the wrong fashion would be to corrupt what they were supposed to be an image of. This is why he's so particular about them all through those Old Testament passages of Scripture. And so the earthly ministry of these priests, the tabernacle, all these things, they were just forms and figures of the coming heavenly ministry of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now, Brother Rich, I'm going to have you bring that thing up for me now if you would. All right? Because some of you look like you need waking up, a little waking up here. Okay? And while he's bringing that up here, let me just ask you this question. I've got to get an outlet out here for you. 
I want to make sure we can get a good shadow. Okay? Have you ever tried to make something out what it was just by looking at the shadow? All right? So some of you are, some of you are probably more gifted at this than me. Okay? All right? Shine this on the wall. I didn't actually test this out before I did it, so I hope this works. Because that'll be fantastic if it does. All right? I am no um, great shadow artist here for you, okay? Oh, we can't really see it. Let's try it over here. Let's see. All right, can you see that? Oh, let's see. Here we go. Can you tell, can you tell it's me? No. What do I got here? There you go. All right, this was from way back. Okay, let's see if I can do this one. There you go. That's a goat. What's your problem? <laughs> All right. Some of you could probably do better shadow figures than I can do, okay? But that's the best I'm going to give you right here, okay? Have you ever tried to make something out by its shadow? Hey, would you have liked to pick your wife out by her shadow? Well, that could be a problem. Shadows can be pretty deceptive. You can't get to know a shadow. You can't really get to tell what someone's like by looking at their shadow. That's all they were given in the Old Testament. It doesn't even scratch the surface about what the real thing's like. I mean, it doesn't even come close. That's all they have. There's no wonder, hey, in the book of Galatians, the apostle says to those Galatians believers, hey, having begun in the Spirit, do you want to go back? Do you really want to go back to that? I mean, it's not even close. That's what the Bible is emphasizing to us here. It's showing us how much greater Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so the point is that the real thing is so much better than the forms and the figures. If you look in your notes at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that the law had a what? A shadow of good things to come, but not the very image of those things. It didn't even come close to really depicting what it was supposed to actually be like earlier in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, though, God told us something really significant. He said that God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hey, he hath in these last times spoken unto us by who? His Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him were not, was not anything made that was made. And verse 14 of John 1 says that the Word was made flesh Amen. and dwelt among us. Right. Jesus came to show us who He really is. Amen. No more shadows. We get to know Him. We get to know Him. I mean, who He really is. And so Jesus 
through his finished work, has acquired a priestly ministry far surpassing anything the Old Covenant had to offer. The Old Covenant was just types and shadows, patterns and forms, but boy, it was nothing like the real thing, nothing like what Jesus has given to us through our faith in him and and what he's done through us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so now, in this superior priesthood that Jesus ministers to us by, in this superior priesthood, Jesus is now a mediator who serves to bring us into a new covenant, a new arrangement in how we can relate to God. We no longer have to look at shadows. We can look at him face to face. Face to face I shall behold him one day. But now we can look at the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because of what Christ has accomplished for us here. And look again at verse 6 with me if you would. Verse 6 it says, but now He hath obtained, laid a hold of, acquired a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. That word mediator, oh, you should circle it in your Bible. That word mediator, it comes from a Greek word that literally speaks of one who intervenes between two people in order to make peace and friendship. Or to ratify a covenant. Jesus is the one who did what we can never do. He stood in the gap. He came to bring us into fellowship with God. And it's not just a form or a figure of God. He came in human form so we could come to know exactly who God is. Everything God is we can know in Jesus. Everything. That's significant. And by the way, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of when Jesus began to tell us about the institution of this new covenant. Before Jesus went and shed his blood on the cross, which, hey, purchased the church to himself, Jesus gave us this table to remind us about this new arrangement, this new testament, this new covenant that we have with God. And it's not like the old It's real. We can know God personally. And that's what's so wonderful about the reminder we get at this table. So friend, we don't have to know God in shadow form any longer. We can know Him personally, intimately, and literally today. And if I could go so far as to say this, that's the point of the Christian life. Just getting to know God. The law will always try to keep him as a shadow for you. Grace, you can know him face to face. And friend, after we get saved, the temptation is still there. They think we can't attain, we can't touch him. We can't come and talk to him because of this or that. And the law will continue to condemn and keep you from enjoying what Jesus came to establish for you so that you could enjoy. And that's why the teaching of the new covenant is so significant for us. Is 1 John chapter 1 in your Bible there? The the verse from 1 John chapter 1? It's in your Bible, in your notes. I was just making sure you were listening. No. 
Is it in your notes? All right, if you like to go in your Bible there, that's great too. But listen, listen to what the Apostle John said. This is what the Apostle, Apostle John said to us here. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested, revealed unto us. And he said, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Why? That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy might be full. Amen. Sounds a lot like to me that John, the apostles, the disciples, they knew Jesus. We've touched Him. We've seen Him. We've watched Him. We know Him. He was revealed to us. And that same one that was revealed to us, John said, we want to show him to you. So you can have fellowship with him too. You see, the apostles weren't elitists. The same Jesus they knew, the same fellowship they had with Jesus, John said you could have it too. And there is joy in knowing Jesus intimately. This is the last thing I want to say before we go to the Lord's table. In the new covenant, we truly have been blessed with a far better mediator. Jesus is a mediator, and he's the only mediator who can bring us into full fellowship with God. And that's one of the reasons he established this new covenant for us. To bring those of us who were once far off nigh. By the blood of his sacrifice. That's significant. One of my favorite passages where Jesus is talking about the new dynamic we could share with him is in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, and many, many of you this is familiar to you, John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the mediator. If ye had known me, Jesus said, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Then Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest, sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. And then he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Why? Because I go to my Father. See, Jesus has finished the work. He has ascended to the Father. And Jesus essentially reminded the disciples, and we as disciples here tonight, of the same truth, that to know Him is to know God. For He is God in the flesh. Jesus is God who we can touch, who we can look on, who we can know intimately 
personally and literally. He's our mediator, a better mediator. Hey, in the Old Testament, those high priests, all they could do was once a year enter into the presence of God on the Day of Atonement. Jesus is ever there. And he tells us, come on, come on. He, he, he invites us to freely come and have fellowship. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to enjoy? Amen. And yet we want to walk around and hold on to our types and shadows and our figures of God, our mystical ideas of God. When Jesus says, you want to know me? Come on. I've made a way. But you can come. You can know me. And this table is a reminder of that truth right there. And so as we gather